All right. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Stoa. On our ninth episode of School of Coin, Eddie and I are going to be covering self-custody. So current Moscow time is 1980 at 713-242. And as a reminder, the Bitcoin Stoa is a community-funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code at bitcoinstoa.com. Uh, you can also stream sats with something like the Breeze app, which has a really badass podcast feature. And at the end of the day, one of the best ways to support this project is simply by sharing it with others who might be curious to learn about Bitcoin. Uh, if you found these conversations helpful uh, to expand your understanding, share it with someone who's starting out their journey. And I think that's the best way we spread this message. So with that said, let's dive into self-custody. And we're going to try a different approach today with the format that we're using. Um, so I've spent more time researching self-custody uh, than Eddie. So I'm going to share my current protocol. And my hope with that is for it to be critiqued and challenged so that we can, so that I can learn how to do better and further improve my security. Uh, and hopefully by sharing the system that I've, uh, I'm currently using that I've evolved over time, it gives people ideas of how they can engage with their own strategy. So my opinion is that, um, well, over the past three months, I've had a lot more time. Um, to work on my self-custody strategy. And so I made the decision that instead of gradually progressing and evolving my security strategy as the amount of wealth I have in Bitcoin increases, I just figured I would create a, a protocol that I could grow into, which would be suitable for storing uh, an amount of wealth equivalent to 10 million fiat dollars today. And how did I get there? Well, to that number, my opinion is that it's highly likely that anyone who owns one Bitcoin today uh, will be the equivalent of a present-day multimillionaire in a decade. And the way I got there is I live in Canada. The Bitcoin is 60 grand right now. If all it does is grow at the same rate it has for the past decade, for the next decade, one Bitcoin uh, in a decade is $12 million. So it's not that far-fetched. And so basically, I was like, okay, I'm going to design a protocol for $12 million. And I don't think anyone needs more than $12, $12 million. So it's like, that's probably the max cap. If I ever get to that in my life, it'd be great. Um, and then, so that protocol is a five level protocol that I'll go through today. And I look forward um, to hearing everyone's feedback. And, you know, I just think that having the capacity to be hundred percent sovereign uh, and highly secure with a significant amount of digital property is like a pretty badass thing to do. So, um, so let's dive in. Eddie, you got anything to say before we start getting into it? Yeah, Nick, I'm really looking forward to hear your uh, your framework because I, I I just personally think that that is uh, something that I per I didn't think of yet just yet. You know, I've only been uh, working on self custody for about a year now, and um, I have thought about that. Like, you know, technology changes very quickly. The stuff that I'm using to hold my Bitcoin right now, you know, may not be what I'm using in a year from now, but my idea was, okay, I'm going to learn what I can, you know, learn now. And then, uh, you know, I'll eventually graduate, but I appreciate that idea of being able to grow into something, you know, grow into a self-custody uh, framework. I think that um, has a lot of positives to it. I'm really excited to explore those with you. And I'm also looking forward to, you know, as a younger um, hodler of Bitcoin, I want to be able to uh, provide some perspective and insight um, to those that are just learning um, and happy to like discuss all of the ins and outs of, of it with you today. So yeah, let's do it. Powerful. Yeah. I think if you put it in the open, everyone learns together, right? If one listener to this has a key insight uh, and we're able, and, and I can implement that, then I'm doing better. Right. And if a bunch of people get insights from what I've learned, then we're all doing better. And so if we all learn together, you know, like, I think we should do a self-custody show. I think one of the shows listed on the store right now is called mastering self-custody. So, um, that will really just be about talking to the smartest people that work in Bitcoin security. Um, and, and just pick their brain about like, what can we do to be better at, um, having secure self-custody. So, Maybe a good place to start is just to kind of frame this with a bit of context and start with like, what is self-custody and why is it important? And, you know, self-custody to me means taking full responsibility for my Bitcoin, right? Within the context of Bitcoin. And by holding my own keys, I'm, I'm essentially accepting full, complete responsibility to safeguard my wealth. And so, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because if I fuck it up, it's on me and that's gone and no one's going to bail me out. But it also eliminates... Um, the, the potential that someone else might steal my Bitcoin um, or a counterparty risk can actually come to, to being something that's not good for me. So um, taking self-custody is like accepting radical responsibility 
And to me, that is the best way to do this. And I think that's really deep in the Bitcoin ethos. So, you know, that saying in Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coins, your keys, your coins. I think everyone should probably aim to take self-custody over time as they, as they're able to devote more time to understanding it, right? Like my mom has exposure to Bitcoin through an ETF, but we talk about this frequently where the goal is for her to eventually start selling little pieces of the ETF, convert that into actual Bitcoin and then build her own self-custody confidence. Um, but it takes time. You don't have to rush it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's really important because with a bare asset, which is kind of like cash, possession is actually the only thing that matters, right? Uh, you either hold your own property or you don't. And that's the hard line in the sand. And if you don't, then there's counterparty risk. And, you know, it might be large or it might be very small, but it's always going to be there if you're allowing someone else to take custody of your coins. And so, you know, a lot of people I know have a hybrid system where a certain part of their wealth is uh, with a custodian, a certain part is self-custodied uh, and everyone has to make their own decision. But I think, um, with full ownership, with self-custody, the only risk is your ability to self-custody. And so that's where this becomes like a learning journey to improve how you do that. Um, and to me, the meaning behind it is I want to be fully sovereign. I want to be free of any masters. Uh, I want to hold my own keys, which was intimidating initially, especially as the, as the number goes up, um, but becomes less intimidating as you improve your understanding. So that's what self-custody is to me. That's why I feel it's important. I think another important thing to mention is the importance of running a node, because I think that's really deeply part of a full self-custody uh, strategy and essentially running a node, you know, it will mean, it means many things. It can mean different things to different people, but essentially it means having your own, possessing your own copy of the ledger and verifying your own transactions. Um, you know, why run a node? There's a lot of reasons, you know, it can be privacy. It can be to have trustless confirmations, help defend the Bitcoin rules help strengthen and decentralize the network. So there's a lot of reasons why one might run a node. Um, and for me, it was a no brainer, right? It was 300 bucks. It was a Sunday morning project for about three hours and then a weekly 20 minute check-in. And you got to have the time and the motivation to do that. But, um, you know, I don't do much with my node right now. I kind of play around with it. Um, I do verify the significant transactions that I make, but, you know, my goal is in future to understand it better and better. And uh, we'll record future episodes about the why and the how for running a node because it's become a lot less intimidating now that the tech is better, it's more intuitive. Um, and so, yeah, I think I was two years ago, I tried to run a node and when it asked for command line prompt, I tapped out. I was like, no, I'm not ready for this shit yet. It's not, it's not ready for yet. Um, and uh, when I tried it earlier this year, it was like soup. I almost thought I did it wrong because it was so easy. So it's come a long way if you're intimidated by it. Don't be, it's much easier and hopefully we can simplify it. Um, I think before I get into the kind of five layer protocol, I think an important thing to note is that over time, you need to evolve your strategy as the amount of wealth you have in Bitcoin increases. And so your strategy that you choose will never be static because the price of Bitcoin is never static, right? From year to year, it changes. And if you start with like $1,000 in Bitcoin, and then in five years, you have $50,000 in Bitcoin, well, you need to update your strategy, right? Because now the risk of losing that Bitcoin is much higher. And so every year, if your Bitcoin appreciates, your security protocol should also be up updated. And I kept having to do that. And as the prices shot up, you know, at certain points, I was like, shit, I got to review this. And so this whole framework of choosing five levels and then updating each level as I learn how to do things better, but knowing that that's kind of the context was um, really important to me. Um, so yeah, it's a continual learning process for me included, but let's get into it. So the framework that I use is five layers. It's a five level protocol. Um, layer one would be the most convenient and least secure. So something that I use frequently and typically has small amounts. And then layer five is the least convenient, the most secure, it's those are the funds that I use most infrequently and they're larger amounts. So from level one to level five is convenient and least secure to inconvenient and most secure. And that's sort of like the, the big continuum. And then between each level, um, if you want to chime in Eddie with questions or anything like that, you just let me know. And, uh, and even chiming in with like what you currently use for what you perceive to be that level in terms yeah. of software or products. Yeah. And so, I, I also guess, I guess one thing to mention too, is it's probably okay to utilize multiple levels at the same time, you know, like you said, 
um, you know, you could have a, a certain amount of Bitcoin that maybe you would like to uh, have, you know, maybe 50,000 sats where you could send some to some friends or maybe, um, you know, make a little purchase of some coffee in El Salvador if you were uh, able to do something like that. But then you right. can also utilize these other more secure and private strategies like Nick is going to talk about um, to protect your, your larger values of Bitcoin. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. I use all these levels, right? And right, right, like right. Le level four and five are kind of still in the works because they're pushing my technical abilities. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for someone just starting out with a hundred bucks in Bitcoin, maybe they only need a level one. But as you get deeper and deeper into it, as you learn more and you build more conviction and put more of your wealth in Bitcoin, you end up having to sort of um, explore the, the, the deeper layers of security, like make more robust security protocols. So I think one fundamental that applies to all these levels and is important for everyone to, I think, know is the geographic dispersal of recovery seed and device. So whether that's a hot wallet on my phone, that would be my device. The recovery seed for that wallet is going to be kept somewhere not on my phone. Right? My hardware wallet and my hardware wallet recovery seed will not be kept in a little box together. Right, The whole idea is to geographically disperse them. It doesn't have to be like miles away. It can just be a different part of your house. But I had a friend that is like, yeah, I kept, I keep my Trezor and my recovery seed and all of my information in one little box. I'm like, if someone finds that box, you're fucked, dude. <laughs> yes. Like you need to keep them in different yeah. places. So I think keeping your device and your recovery seed in different physical places, very important and holds true for all of these. So that's kind of like a fundamental little nugget that I think is important to mention. Yeah. So let's go through level one. Level one is my mobile device. So uh, this is a mobile phone, hot wallet for daily use. So like you said, if you just want to make coffee purchases or send some sats to a friend, you know, this would be, I look at this as like the equivalent of my traditional wallet, right? I'm not going to keep thousands of dollars in my pocket at all times. I might keep a hundred bucks. 50 bucks. Um, so I'm currently playing with moon wallet. I like it because it's a non-custodial uh, and moon is spent M spelled M U U N it's non-custodial lightning and um, main chain wallet, which I find really cool. I also use bread wallet green by Blockstream, And I also use breeze and breeze is probably the one that I actually spend most frequently from because I uh, use the sats streaming feature where like every um, minute of listening, I can stream like 50 sats, which is a fraction of a penny, but for the listen, for the creator, it's my way of thanking them for creating, um, their content. And so, yeah, that's my level one. What, what level one, um, software are you using, are you using right now? Yeah, currently. So I'm just, uh, learning how to use moon wallet and breeze wallet specifically for the podcast feature, which I do think is really cool, um, awesome. that they have integrated with it. But um, personally, I, I don't have any funds on there just yet. I'm, I literally just like play around with the UI. Um, cool. and, uh, I guess as far as like my, my true layer one, um, would even be like a step below that. It would be like, you know, my, my wallet, my wallet of funds of Bitcoin, you know, what I would have in my back pocket is on, is on uh, cash app, which cool. is, uh, which, you know, which I guess I'll make that distinction. You know, I don't have any, um, any uh, like uh, recovery uh, phrase or anything like that. So, you know, the benefit of utilizing a um, wallet that does have those recovery phrases and things like that, like Moon, um, is, is going to be beneficial for you in the long run. And uh, it's, you know, I think uh, uh, the, the true purpose of Bitcoin as well is just to, to be full, fully responsible. So, yeah, but I mean, you make a good point. I never even thought of Cash App because I'm in Canada. We don't have that stuff here. Um, oh, and true. Yeah, so I, I guess you wanna... can't use Cash App in Canada. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, we don't have Cash App. We don't have Venmo. Dude, we're living in the dark ages here in Canada. It's fun. Oh my um, gosh. And just That's to hilarious. put a little pin in that, shout out to Jack Dorsey, who yeah. literally, like, him leaving Twitter for Bitcoin is the best fucking trade we could have ever made. Like, I think it's going to be like even just their new spiral um, little video that they made for the Lightning Development Kit is like, I think we're going to see some sick stuff from, from square and from Jack. So I'm like, thank you, Jack, for being an amazing human. Bitcoin needs you. And uh, Bitcoin doesn't need anyone. That's a lie. But I, I think as a Bitcoiner, I'm very grateful that Jack is working on Bitcoin. hundred so, percent. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, if you keep 50 bucks 
on a sure. custodial wallet, maybe you don't need the seed phrase backup, right? Like right, there's probably right. going to be bigger problems if someone steals your phone than losing 50 bucks on your cash app account. So, <laughs> and you have a login for that. So technically your login maybe is like your seed phrase, right? If your phone gets stolen, you log in on another cards. device. Yeah. So, so yeah, for, for level one, maybe you don't need a seed phrase backup. It depends on how much, how many of your funds you're keeping in that wallet. And like I said, I keep it to about a hundred fiat uh, Canadian funny money dollars worth of value. And that's pretty much it. If it gets beyond that, then I go to layer two. So level two is what I call my stash. And this is a hardware cold, uh, cold storage hardware wallet. And this is for like monthly use. So I might have like two months of personal overhead expenses worth of value in there. And I, the other thing too, is I like, I created this framework as something that works for me right now but will also work for me if I'm on a straight up Bitcoin standard, where if I don't have a bank account, how do I create parallel, a parallel system for like my checkings account, my savings account, my vault, quote unquote vault. And so my mobile device is like my physical wallet. My stash, which is level two, would be like my checkings account. So I have a couple months worth of overhead in there. Uh, I currently use Trezor and I, I've also been recently using the uh, Jade hardware wallet right, with right. my mobile device. So technically that's a multi-sig because my phone is one um, one password. And then the actual hardware wallet device itself is another one. So I'm really liking the Jade. Jade like that the Jade is source. a multi-sig, right? It is. Yeah. yeah and I right. think you can use multiple Jades, but even just having the requiring your phone and the hardware device together means that there's automatically two passcodes or two signatures needed. So I really like that. And I'm also playing around with cold card, although that's a more technical wallet. So I haven't really dove deep into that. Um, so I'm currently actually reading a, a pretty high quality critique of hardware wallets by a guy called Robert Spiegler. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, the article goes beyond my technical understanding right now, but I'm slowly chipping away and kind of learning, but he makes a pretty good case that hardware wallets might not be everything they cracked up to be right. Like they came out after Mt. Gox as a way to be like, okay, well, we need some sort of way to take custody of our own, um, of our own bitcoins that goes beyond just having a software wallet. Um, but I think like anything, they are not perfect. And I think really diving into this critique is helping me create a better understanding of like, what is the actual risk of me using a hardware wallet? And so, um, for, for level two, I still think it's fine. Um, I'm hoping to do a podcast with Robert actually to kind of pick his brain a little bit deeper, but, uh, right now for level two, I use a hardware, uh, multi-sig with Jade and I also use a Trezor. And I find that works pretty well. And like I said, that is for monthly use, maybe two months of personal expenses. That's level two. Any questions right. about that one? Yeah, no questions at all. And I think that, I mean, depending on where you're taking level three, that level two is like, is where I'm at, you know, and that is, uh, to be honest, like, I think like what I had in, had envisioned, like, you know, besides like maybe utilizing Casa or some, some um, third party for a multi-sig um uh, storage, you know, I, I kind of thought that hardware wallets, cold storage was like the end all be all. Totally. Um, and so it was like, okay, like this is the safe, this is, you know, a safe bet, but, um, you know, I, I do, uh, agree. Like there are, uh, it seems to me like there would, there would be a lot of, um, potential issues, you know, I mean, you're still running off of software. Um, you're still running off of hardware and hardware, you know, deteriorates and, um, things like that. So, um, yeah, like for, for me, level two, I utilize Ledger and I, I utilize Trezor. And I've heard a lot of great stuff about um, the Jade wallet. I just haven't been able to um, get my hands on one yet. It seems to be like they, they sell out every time I, <laughs> I check it out. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're so small too. Like they're like half, half of a finger and they're just like a tiny little thing. The good thing I like about um, the Jade, I believe it's fully open source. And Blockstream is just, they're just a badass group. Like, you know, if they're making some shit, they're making it well. And I think... I know that Jack had mentioned they're going to make an open source hardware wallet. So I'm really keen to see what Spiral comes out with. Cause I think being able to build one yourself and use straight up open source software, that is the, that's the ultimate, right? Like that is the Bitcoin ethos. And I think we're going to see more and more companies um, creating open source uh, hardware wallets, because that's really, that's a really important element of Bitcoin of the ecosystem. And, you know, nothing is perfect. And so I think hardware wallets are still good. I'm not going to stop using them. One thing in reading the article that I'm looking at is like, okay, what are all the attack vectors on hardware wallets? Like there's, you can have like the wallet you receive, you're trusting that that manufacturer is trustworthy, right? So there is an element of trust that you're trusting that going from the manufacturer to you, that hardware wallet was never doctored. There was never any malware. There was never any, so there's, there's elements. And I think just knowing, um, 
even with my like low level technical understanding, knowing the attack vectors makes me more careful. Like I'm going to buy a Trezor directly from Trezor. I'm not going to buy it from like a random Amazon shop that opened yesterday. So I think there's some good things to, to note there. And um, maybe we'll do like a, a session um, about the hardware wallet critique and I can just kind of share what, I'm, what I've been learning. So that's yeah. level two. Level three, um, I call this my vault. And this would be, it's a same thing. It's a cold storage hardware wallet. And this is essentially like my annual savings repository. So this would be like my savings account. Um, you know, anything that I, uh, any income that I make beyond what I need for my overhead goes into there. It basically gets dumped into there. And then once a year, I'll bring it from level three to level four. But that's kind of like my savings account. Uh, I currently use Jade. It's a multi-sig. I'm playing with same thing. I'm playing with cold card level two and level three are kind of similar, but, um, you know, I won't use level three as frequently. It'll mostly just be ins and no money taken out. Uh, except if I needed to do like a large purchase, right? If I was on a straight up Bitcoin standard, didn't have any fiat. If I wanted to buy a car, if I wanted to buy something outright, um, and it was a large purchase, I would go into kind of my vault and take some of that money out of there and put it to, you know, like maybe plug it into my mobile wallet or, or even pay directly from the vault. Uh, to the person I'm buying something from. So that's my level three. It's just a little bit beefed up. Like the, where I, where I store the hardware wallet and the private key might have more thought going into it because there's more Bitcoin at stake there, but that's basically a dumping ground, like my savings account for my annual dumping ground for where I put the money that I don't need to survive, that I don't need for my personal overhead. Um, and so that's more, you know, if level one is a daily, um, uh, sort of daily access level two is monthly access level three is like annual yearly access. Um, so that's level three. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really like that. I think it's, uh, it's good to be able to, even though you're still utilizing cold storage and, you know, you still have maybe, uh, beefed up physical and, uh, you know, geographical locations for it. I think it's still cool to be able to split that apart into like a, a monthly, like it's good to have those frameworks, you know, because, um, you know, uh, for me, like there was at a point in time where I did have the majority of my Bitcoin on one hard drive and, you know, that'll eat away at your conscience a little bit too. Um, yeah. but I think like, it's really fun to talk about all of these strategies because like, if anybody is still like, if anyone watching this is still wondering, like, uh, you know, why it's important to you, like this could very well be one of those reasons, like Nick, was mentioning like maybe one day you'd like to buy a car and uh you know one of the cool things about bitcoin and one of the reasons that i love it so much is that um you know in today's traditional financial system like not everybody can participate even if you were an entrepreneur maybe you know you, you maybe some for some reason you wouldn't be able to buy a house or get a loan or something like that but if you had bitcoin and were able to self-custody it and exchange that uh you know in the future for like something really awesome, like a car or something that you really would value. That's like the true um, purpose of self-custody. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think like the level three strategy is awesome. And it's just like giving me more reminders to, to um, constantly uh, look at my uh, savings and, and my wealth and in, in those terms, like a daily, a wallet, like what you'd have on your person what you would have in a monthly savings account, um, in a, in something that you, that you only touch in a year and, and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I think the goal with a self-custody protocol is to keep it as simple. Like I went through many different phases with how I did self-custody. You know, I went through phases where I had like 10 different hardware wallets in different places. Cause I was like, well, if one gets stolen, then I'm still okay. And then eventually I was like, well, shit, now I got to keep track of 10 different hardware wallets, 10 different privacy. And it actually got confusing. Right. right. Um, and so at a certain point you make such a crazy strategy to avoid someone stealing it, where it's like, you can stop yourself from even accessing it. So I think it's still <laughs> important to be simple. A simple is secure. Um, two, if you make it a treasure hunt and it's too complex, you risk losing it yourself of your own fault. So I think there's like a very fine balance there, but I find that simplicity, I, what I like about this protocol is that it's simple and I can understand it. And if I do like once a year, I'll do like a, in December, I'll take half a morning each Sunday for a couple of Sundays. And I'll just do like a refresher. Like, am I still comfortable doing a transaction? Uh, do I know where everything is? Do I know how much is in each thing? Do I have to rebalance and take it from like, for example, my monthly account and put it in my level three vault that I'm not going to touch. Is that still in a safe place? All that kind of stuff. And so I think there's, um, 
as your wealth increases in Bitcoin, there are more considerations to make, but you also have more time and energy and probably motivation to actually do that. And so I think it's this organic, for me, it's always been this organic thing where the, as soon as I get anxious about whether my Bitcoin's safe, I know I have to re-up on understanding and maybe uh, beefing up my protocol. And mm -hmm. so any concerns you have, based on my experience can get resolved through better understanding, like just spend time learning about self-custody and you're like, Oh, I can be calm. I have this under control. I understand my strategy. Um, but it really is just like an ongoing evolving learning process. And as the technology changes, you have to learn as well. And I think the cool thing back to what you said about like really being a sovereign is like, okay, say you want to move to El Salvador. And when you get down there, you want to buy a car. You can literally write 24 words in a book, fly to El Salvador with just a book and buy a car when you like bring a, buy a hardware wallet down there and just buy a car like right away. You don't have to ask permission for anyone. You don't have to claim that you're bringing money across the border, like none of that. And I think this is a very special technology where right now it's really just digital property, right? Like no one wants to spend their digital property because it's so precious, but we will get to a world eventually where that becomes a currency. It's, it will still remain digital property, best digital property you can have, but it's, it's, interoperable with converting it into a currency, which can then be used to buy things. And so um, we're always going to need some understanding of self-custody if we want to hold our Bitcoin. But the eventual, the eventuality is to use that self-custody knowledge to be able to use that Bitcoin to buy things. Uh, and being 100% sovereign and not having to ask people permission to do anything is like, that's pretty cool. That's why I like, that's why I love Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so let's go to level four. And I should say that level four and five, I'm still researching. And still kind of working to implement. So I haven't done all these things yet, but I kind of know, I know what I'm trying to learn right now and I'm actively working towards it. So level four, I call my deep vault. So if level three is my level one is mobile device, level two is mustache, level three is vault, level four is the deep vault. And, you know, if, if the vault was something I access, like is my annual savings account, the deep vault is like my five-year savings account. So I'll put, you know, as soon as the amount of money I would need for a large purchaser in one year gets high, I plug it into level four, which is a uh, like a deep savings account. And this one is analog. So the private keys will never touch an internet connected device. Um, my level four will be a collect uh, collaborative custody wallet. Um, so what that means is that I'll create uh, like a three of seven multi-sig, which is a Yeti protocol. Um, and I'll mention sort of how people can check that out at the end, because I think it's really helpful. Um, and basically it's, it's a three of five multi-sig collaborative custody strategy, which means that I might have three people in my family. I'll give each of them one key. Um, and I need three keys out of, if one of them loses a key, then there's still extra ones, right? So there's some redundancy built into there. Um, but it requires multiple people. If someone comes to me and says, give me all your Bitcoin with a gun, I can say like, I literally can't give it to you because I'm not, it requires other humans to engage with this. And so it's just like a, an, an extra layer of security. So it's fully offline. Those keys are created on a computer that is not connected to the internet. Those keys are also multimedia. So you'll have like a paper copy of the seed. You'll have a digital copy of the seed and you'll also have a metal copy of the seed. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think the redundancy has to be built in just to make sure that, okay, if there's a lot at stake, we got to really think through how this is done. So I, I guess I have a qu quick question for myself sure. actually is uh, because that's one thing that does um, uh, intimidate me is like using keys that, that have never touched, like for instance, like a paper key. Um, now as someone who's running a node, a full node would, that is how you can like have that comfort of like seeing that transaction, like verified and seeing, seeing what you have, um, on like seeing your Bitcoin on the blockchain through your node instead of mm -hmm. through your UI on your Trezor. Like, is that, am I seeing that correctly? Um, yeah, like so you'll, you'll have like, a public address just even for that. Uh, that's a good question. And I don't know, I, the, like these, some of these answers might be wrong. Mm -hmm. So I hope someone points this out at some point if I am saying something that's wrong. But as best as I understand it, um, you're generating a public address and then you're generating multiple wallet addresses, for example. And you derive the private key offline. So I will hold the private key, but I'll also have the public address available for me to be able to send Bitcoin there. And I can check up on that wallet by literally just plugging the public address into my node and right. seeing what's in there. Okay, right. So it's really just the private <laughs> cool. key that I'm keeping it's private. Cool. 
the public key I can look at at all times. It's publicly available, but I'm always going to try to avoid connecting my IP address to like, I'll use like a Tor browser or something like that, or maybe a VPN to look up that public address for the deep vault on a block explorer. Um, so yeah, so there's redundancy three of seven multi-sig Yeti protocol, um, never touches an online computer just for added safety. And this is probably all overkill. But like I said, if you own a Bitcoin now in a decade, you'll be a millionaire. And like, there's a lot at stake. If you don't want to have to go to consultants all the time or have a custodian, you need to take this shit seriously. Um, and yeah. so at least that's my perspective. And so that's why this is probably kind of slightly overkill, but in a decade, it might not be overkill. And I just want to plan for that. So I know where I'm trying to get to. Um, and so the deep vault is used for significant investments, like I don't think I'll ever buy a cash or a house with cash. I just don't think fiat is going to be around for a while. Paying for things in fiat makes too much sense. So I'll collateralize the Bitcoin and borrow fiat. So I don't know if I'll ever like, you know, I think I will, but it'll be many, many, several decades in future. But if I was going to make a, a significant purchase, that's more than like a car, like maybe something like a house or a piece of property uh, or a significant investment in a company. Um, then this is what I would use level four for. And I would also level four starts to get into inheritance also. So I don't have any kids. I don't have any dependents right now. Inheritance isn't a big deal to me. If I die, all my coins go with me. And I trust that the planet will allocate those resources. Uh, well, like that's the ultimate form of philanthropy, right? Is to not even pretend like, you know, where you should put that money. It's just like everyone in the world holding Bitcoin just got a little bit richer and they will allocate it appropriately. Um, but if, and when I do have kids, um, it, it gets to a point where I got to develop a strategy where if like, I got to develop a death plan, right? If I die, which people in my family are responsible for using those keys? Do they know how to use them? And do they know how that, um, how that wealth gets allocated to specific people or specific things? And so when you get into the deep vault level four, you get into kind of inheritance planning, if you have dependents and if you want to ensure passover of your wealth. So that's level four. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really awesome point to make. Uh, just on the inheritance side, I personally don't have any children or any dependents um, myself as well. But it is something that that I think everybody should think about about eventually. And yeah. if you do have some type of savings, I think it's one of the greatest things about Bitcoin is that like you you holding your wealth in Bitcoin gives you more power to to make very clear decisions with those types of things um in in like in regarding to inherent inheritances or like making decisions uh beyond yourself like beyond your death um with with your wealth um so you know i i think that that's like you know just to like bring a quick point i think that's like a really awesome aspect about bitcoin and, and the fact that that is like it's uh, i guess you know like everyone says programmable money it's money that you yeah. can actually program and uh and have a lot of control over. And so, like you said, Nick, like, you know, in 10 years, if, if anybody is hodling, you know, long enough, um, and, and sees the number go up, you know, you can either, uh, pay people to help you, or you can put in the work now. Um, there's a lot of resources, uh, that are out there to teach you and teach me. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're all like looking to help each other, like, uh, you know, flourish. Uh, and so I, yeah, I think level four is, is really awesome. And I think it's, it's just, it, it just goes to show like that, um, <clears throat> you know, like I would say like Bitcoiners, it, it, they're, they're, becomes like a separation like when it's about the money and like when it's really about like something more and something bigger and that's what i really yeah. find like with bitcoin is it usually like leads towards the bigger picture and it's like i can't even remember the last time that i've like cared about or like i mean i still get excited but it's like not about the price it's kind of like not about the money and it's about the foundational values and you know you can even hear um hedge fund managers talk about that. They're like, well, I like Bitcoin because I like the foundations. And so, you know, being able to, to add in very deep uh, or, you know, quote unquote, level four and level five protocols to your wealth, I think is just like amazing. So yeah. it's really cool. And it's cool that we can do it as individuals. I think that's right, right. Like it requires work, but um, the resources are there. The people are, Bitcoiners are insanely generous with their time, especially the people who have been in this for a long time they're they're more than willing to share what they say as long as they know that it's going to fall on the right ears and be put to good use and um you know when you talk about will like i had this conversation with my brother the other day he's like well how does a big how does bitcoin work when it comes to a will and i kind of thought about it, i'm like 
Bitcoin is a will, literally. <laughs> like you can program, like a will is you're programming where your money goes and you die. Yeah. When you get deep enough into Bitcoin, you can program the actual money. Like I even told them, like I could go to a lawyer and give them a, like a two or three multi-sig key. They get one key and they get instructions. And it basically says that if I die and you receive my death certificate, you use this key to, to process this transaction, which has been pre-scripted right. and that pays you a thousand dollars. Right. And then family members have a key. They meet up with that lawyer. The lawyer gets paid. Um, the family members have the other keys. It only works when all keys are used. No one person can use that key without the lawyer having the like, there's really cool ways to program this in a really elegant way that makes it so that everything is taken care of exactly as your wishes are without anyone digging their hands in because you've just planned the whole thing. And, you know, it kind of might seem morbid to some people to think about like your own death, but I do it regularly and it makes <laughs> me appreciate life way more. Yeah. And so I don't have any dependents right now, but I do want to make sure and level five has something plugged in there that I think uh, I find really interesting, which is programmable endowments. So hmm. I'll talk about that. But I think this whole notion that like Bitcoin is a will, if you know how to program it and you understand how this works, that's super fucking cool. Cause no government is going to try. You don't have to ask permission of the government to get a dead person's money. If that person gets to determine where their money goes and that might piss governments off, but like that makes human, that makes me happy. And knowing that people have control over their wealth and no one's going to try and steal it from them. Right. So hundred percent agree. <laughs> all right. Let's get into level five. This is yeah. the deeper layer. This is what I call my family vault and family can mean a lot of things. It could be my uh, blood related family. It can be, you know, anyone I do business with um, is my family, right? Everyone at all the core people at TFC are my family. You're my family, right? So I think family vault really has a deeper meaning. It can be applied to different families. Um, and this shares a lot of features with level four where it's analog. So none of the private keys ever touch the internet. It's collaborative custody cold wallet for like, these are, if, if my deep vault for level four was like my five-year savings, um, level five is like 10 year slash life savings. So this is everything that I have that doesn't need to be put into the previous, uh, layers for easier access. This one is super inconvenient to access, right? That's kind of the point is make it really hard to steal. Um, there's a lot of redundancy and this one, I haven't done this yet. Like I said, level four and five, I'm still researching. I'm almost done level four, the three of seven Yeti protocol, um, which was like, it pushed my technical abilities, but it actually was, if you take the time to do it. Um, and shout out to JW Weatherman for open sourcing this. Cause this is the Yeti protocol is fully open source. I'll give people the website at the end, but like that one pushed me for level five, I'm going to be doing a six of 15 Shamir backup, which is like, a, a, if you haven't heard of a Shamir backup, yeah. check it out. Trezor has a great article on the website, but essentially what you're doing is taking your private key, parsing it into different parts, like mm -hmm. up to 15, up to, I think it's up to 16 parts. Um, and then choosing you know, like if, if M is the total amount of parts and N is the number of parts needed to complete a transaction, you're creating an N of M protocol. So for me, it would be, I mean, I just kind of have been working on this for the past month. So I don't know if this is how it'll actually end up, but a six of 15 Shamir backup, whereby, um, there's 50, the private key is divided into 15 parts. You need six of them to come together to execute and sign a transaction, which means that you get a lot more people involved. And that's where the family vault part comes mm -hmm. into play. Um, this is where you get into programmable endowments. So for example, with TFC, TFC has a treasury with a bit of Bitcoin. Um, and if that increases over time, that essentially is designed as an endowment to perpetually fund the work that the Foot Collective does to like do what they need to do to help people reclaim responsibility for their health. And that will hopefully exist far beyond my existence. And so programmable endowments is kind of like that will that I said, where you can literally put your instructions, program the money, the money does exactly what it's supposed to. Um, and this, another thing that happens in level five that I haven't looked into yet. And I don't, I don't even know if it's really available is time locks. So you can literally say like this money in this wallet cannot be accessed for five years. It can't be. So even if someone finds a private key, puts together six of the 15 units, if they do it before the time that that time lock allows it to be opened up, it doesn't work. And so that's like a really a cool time, um, time element that you plug into there as an extra layer of security. Now, I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff to think about there, right? Like what if the technology changes and you can't access your money when there's a hard fork? Like there's, I think there's a lot of stuff to go through to like really think through time locks and when they're appropriate. Um, and then this one has a death plan as well. So if you die, what happens to all the money? But uh, at the end of the day, four and five are both analog. The private keys never touch the internet. Their collaborative custody requires more than just me 
uh, which means it's inconvenient, but it's also more secure. And these are both uh, more complex strategies, but also are going to be used almost never, right? Apart from like really outlier moments. So they don't need to be super convenient to access. So um, those are my five levels, right? So you got mobile level one, stash level two, vault level three, deep vault level four, family vault level five. And it goes from most convenient and sort of most frequently accessed to least convenient, least frequently accessed and, and from least secure to most secure. And so, you know, those are my, that's my current framework. Um, the actual protocol that the actual strategy I use for each of those protocol levels might change, but I think knowing that there's five layers of depth, um, gives me clarity to know like what, you know, what strategies are appropriate for each level, what level, uh, should hold funds for what uses. And I, I find it like, it will be dynamic. It will change, but I think those five layers or five levels will stay constant so that it gives me some structure. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about, uh, about that at level five or just the whole thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, uh, I think just my thoughts about the whole thing, um, in general, really, uh, the one thing that I was like, that I just can't get my mind off of is like a lot of these things, um, are really hard to think about, like just straight up. Um, you know, many of the topics that we have, uh, had the pleasure to discuss today. And I think like, it's not just like that for me. I think that it's like that for a lot of other people. And so I just encourage like myself, I encourage everyone, anyone listening to this, um, any foot nerds out there, like reclaiming, uh, you know, reclaiming themselves. Um, I think like the, the, the most exciting thing for me is that like, although I do, uh, although, you know, at times I'm like feared, uh, faced with like fear and doubt and, and insecurity, um, you just got to keep plugging away. And, and you like, for me, like I find these like huge moments of clarity and like huge moments of like enlightenment and like, I can get goosebumps and it's just so fun to talk about self-custody um, and just really dig into all the different layers, because I think like any anybody listening to this, whatever age they are, um, is going to find benefit of one of those layers or all yeah. of them. Sure. And uh, and I think that it was just super beneficial to be able to dig into like each one of them in particular. And, uh, you know, like you said, like all of these strategies will um, will probably, you know, have some type of fluidity and change to them. But but no matter what, I think it's like, like props to you for being able to come up with like a really um, almost like static framework that, that you can utilize, like, and kind of look at different situations within life. Like, I, I think that's awesome. Um, and I definitely was able to like, take, take some, some good notes away from this, just thinking about like me personally, um, I'm at the point to where, you know, I want to start etching, um, some seeds and, and getting them like off paper and, and making sure that I like can, um, split up, uh, my seeds and my hard drives and like, just, uh, you know, having that confidence again, it's like, it's like, it's like, a um, for me, it was like, you know, you have this little bit of fear. So it's like, okay, cool. I got all my Bitcoin onto hard drives. And then I keep it all together, you know, and it's like, but why am I keeping it there? You know, it's like, you're like holding yourself back. So it's like really fun and exciting to work through those processes, um, making it more robust, making, you know, your, your wealth and your stash more secure. And then like, ex and then re-examining it yeah. uh, over time. So yeah, like I loved it. <laughs> yeah, that's the key. And I, I think most people like for a long time, I was literally at level one and level two, right? I had a a wallet on my phone, my play wallet with some play money. And then I had a hardware wallet and that was like all I needed, right? Because I didn't have any um, need to plan ahead further than that, right? The amount of wealth that was in Bitcoin wasn't significant enough where it was like, yeah, if I lose it, it's going to suck, but like, I'll be okay, right? I still have money in my bank account. And so as your conviction goes up, as the percentage of your wealth held in Bitcoin goes up, which might not be you actively dumping it in there. It might just be that the Bitcoin's appreciating in price. Um, like I said, if you have one Bitcoin and it's 60 grand in a decade, if it just does what it did for the previous decade, 170% compounded growth annually, you have 12 million bucks. Like this shit happens quick. And so as your, as your wealth increases, your pressure to use your time to work, to earn more money decreases. And the amount of time you have available and energy available to research how to keep the wealth that you own safe. If you choose to self-custody, which is the choice everyone's going to 
has to make, right? And it's not, I'm not saying everyone has to do this. Uh, and I'm certainly not saying everyone needs to know all those levels, right? Maybe you're only, maybe if you're just starting out, it's just level one, right? Like moon wallet, bread wallet, breeze, like just test it out, play with it, put 10 bucks in and see how it works. Um, maybe then you go to layer level two, right? I had a chat with a friend of mine last night who wanted to, you know, he texted me. He's like, I finally want to get into Bitcoin. Can you help me set up sort of a secure wallet? And I was like, yeah. And we went through level one and level two, and that's all he needs right now. And, but he knows that there are other levels. And when he starts to feel anxious that maybe his coins aren't secure as he keeps learning, he'll, he'll at least have a framework to be like, okay, what's the next level? What's the next layer of protection that I can embed if my, the amount of wealth in here starts to increase to the point where I'm like, there's bigger risk of losing this now. Um, so I need to evolve it. And I think everyone should be learning uh, at their own pace based on their own perspective of how precious is their Bitcoin to them. Um, and, you know, I hope this gets critiqued. I hope there's, you know, right now we don't have a big community um, but hopefully the Stoic community grows and the more it grows, the more people can critique this and the better this can get. And I think eventually the plan should be just like we have the learning protocols, level one to five. Um, I think we should have put this framework on the website to be open source and basically be like, or maybe we create a GitHub and say like, okay, this is what we use. Please critique this. Please let us know how to make this better. And then we just let everyone see it so that we can tell everyone the best that we know how to do right now and improve it as time goes on. And I think there's something really cool about this notion of putting something open source, letting everyone dissect it, critique it, improve it. Um, that is Bitcoin. That is the philosophy of Bitcoin. And, um, and so I think uh, I'm really keen to hear what people have to say about this. Um, the Yeti protocol that I mentioned is 100% open source and it's available at Yeti, Y-E-T-I, cold.com. So if you go there, there's, I think, three levels of wallets that they recommend. The highest level is a three of seven multi-sig. So that's the one that I used for my level four. And it's, you know, it's, it's it challenged me technically, but it wasn't overwhelming when I just chipped away at it slowly, right? It probably took me like two months literally to do it. And I didn't, it's not like I was working on it constantly. It's just like, you know, once a week, I would take an hour and read what I needed and go and buy like the USB thumb drives and know how to identify them and all this kind of stuff. So, um, and like I said, we plan to do the Mastering Self-Custody show in 2022, and we'll feature really smart Bitcoiners who are OGs in security, who understand self-custody, uh, and basically have them just critique whatever uh, protocol we have that's, that we're posting out there and see what they say and have them be able to help us improve it. Um, so just some golden nuggets, regardless of what strategy you use, always aim to keep it simple and avoid the danger of 100% security. 100% security means that no one can access it, not even you. And that is not a good thing, right? So like you want it secure, but not 100%. Um, and another golden nugget that I found really powerful is the best way to reduce uncertainty and anxiety about securing your Bitcoin um, is to literally make a regular habit, a regular practice of learning and experimenting, right? Like I learned early on to make small mistakes by playing around with some, um, you know, dummy Bitcoin wallets, like hardware wallets that had maybe like 20 bucks worth. And I would just learn the process of how do I do a transaction? How do I verify I don't screw it up? And if I make a mistake, it's 20 bucks. It's not thousands of dollars. So make small mistakes so that you avoid making big ones, have an active learning practice to reduce your anxiety, about keeping your Bitcoin secure, because you can understand if I have no exceptional ability, I just have a lot of time to be able to learn this shit. Anyone can learn how to do this. My mom's going to learn how to do this and she's not very tech savvy. So Anyone can learn. It's getting significantly easier to learn this stuff. As time goes on, the user experience is like so much better than it was three or four years ago. And it's only going to get better. It's going to get as easy as swiping your finger to send an email or something like email used to be really complex. Now it's insanely easy. My grandma does it. Bitcoin is going to get there, but we're still very early, which means that you get heavily rewarded for getting in early because when it's not user-friendly, you buy it before most people. And when most people buy it, what you already bought goes up way higher in price. And this is a, this is an important thing to mention, right? So to the early people that put in the work early when it's harder, they get heavily rewarded. And so it's worth it. And um, yeah, anything to say before we close this puppy off? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I've, I think I like your nuggets, man. I, I, uh, I'm, I am <laughs> I <like> motivated. <laughs> I was like your nuggets, man. And, uh, and yeah, I think like for me, um, really, uh, like one of the, one of the, one of the key takeaways for me is just to, um, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And like the more that I realize that, you know, I'm putting myself 
purposefully into these situations to learn and to um, take responsibility. Like, you know, my Bitcoin does mean something to me. So I want to take responsibility for it. My health means something to me. I want to take responsibility for it. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And I have to remind myself that a lot. And so like, that's just my one takeaway from today is like, make yourself a little uncomfortable and, and learn something new. And uh, yeah, take self custody of your Bitcoin. And ask go. us if you have any questions. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, I think um, it is kind of scary. And this is it's, it's supposed to be right, like taking full ownership of your human experience of your Bitcoin of your health of your feelings, your emotions, your relationships, like, it is scary because it's all on you, right? And with the work that goes into overcoming that fear, number one, you got to be more comfortable knowing that you don't know everything. And, <laughs> and I, the, the more I learn about Bitcoin, the more, you know, what is it, the bigger the island of knowledge gets, the, the bigger the um, shore of not knowing what the fuck is up gets bigger or something like I botched that. But like, the more you know, like the that. more you realize you don't know. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's good to push your like, I'm reading this technical analysis, uh, critique of hardware wallets. And it's like, I'm literally getting it to a point where I like, I may as well be reading Chinese. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's good to get there sometimes. Cause that lets you know, okay, like that is my threshold. That's my limit. How do I break down that obstacle into little chunks? How do I bite off little nib nibbles of that chunk? And eventually I get through that obstacle. And this is like the perpetual process with Bitcoin. It seems in my experience where like, I go from not understanding something and being like, I don't even know if I can understand that to then being like, well, can I understand this subcomponent of that? Oh yeah. It turns out that's not that bad when I spend like an hour reading articles. Um, and then it turns out that that big obstacle is no longer big and actually I can overcome that. And so I think it's just having a motivation and desire. And for me, it comes from having a significant sense of meaning in, in Bitcoin, not just personally, not just, just in terms of number, but this notion that, and I kind of had this insight yesterday, Bitcoin is the first institution for the next world we're going to live in. The previous one is crumbling. It's going to be messy for quite a period of time. But the first institution for the next world is Bitcoin. It's the monetary institution. And we nailed it. And it's good because that's the, that's the most important one. It's the foundation for all the other institutions to be built. You know, whatever the government institutions are, whatever the education institutions, health institutions, like everything's falling, everything's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be glorious. It's going to suck in the meantime. But we've got the first big institution. It's so fucking important because if you fix the money, you fix the world. I like literally have that on my heart. And by the way, these BTC library crews are going to go live soon, um, but we're still working on it. So little tweaks to work out. But yeah, I mean, build meaning into it. That's what keeps your motivation high. It might be about just preserving your wealth. It might be about, you know, trying to understand the future of money so you can help other people understand it. But either way, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking responsibility for your wealth and your health and your Bitcoin. Uh, we will constantly be doing episodes about self-custody when we get into that Mastering Self-Custody show. So if you have any questions, plug them into the YouTube. We check the comments pretty, or I check the comments pretty regularly and we'll continue doing that. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for stopping by the STOA. Uh, if you enjoy the content, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code at bitcoinstoa.com or streaming some sats through something like the Breeze app. Wishing you all a wonderful day and ciao for now.